Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries, and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. I'm your host, Tim Savage, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jill Savage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very wet March, and uh, I hope those who are in the middle of the rains and the floods um, are doing as best they can. In today's episode, episode 179, we're talking about are equipment manufacturers and suppliers missing the mark? And we'll talk about that more in detail. Now, before we get on to today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, subscribe on your podcast host of choice so it's available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review on your podcast listening service. Another way you can support us, if you like what we do, is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the support us page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Now, being a relatively small country on the world stage, Australia often punches above its own weight in so many cases. One area where we underperform is the product range available in our retail stores, and this includes hiking gear. Is this because the product doesn't exist or are manufacturers and importers missing the mark? In this episode, we discuss the possible reasons for this. We talk about manufacturers and suppliers missing the mark, but what exactly does that mean? And there's probably a number of areas that are very obvious and we see discussed and talked about on social media blogs and we also see raised in various posts that we do uh, in comments uh, surrounding gear reviews and in comments in general. So the first thing we're going to look at is the range. Now, if you look at US and European magazines uh, that showcase gear, there's actually quite a large range of equipment available on the market. And this, is, this goes from footwear to sleeping bags uh, to hiking poles, uh, you name it. Uh, the range overseas in the larger countries seems to be much bigger than what we get here in Australia. Yeah, and I think it's not just the, the range, the number of brands, there are a greater number of brands, and then within those brands, there's also a greater number of ranges that we see. Certainly from our perspective, um, since the government changed their policy on um, charging for overseas purchases uh, a few years ago, the range certainly has increased. We're starting to see a greater range of gear brands coming into Australia that we didn't see five to ten years ago. So you mean the GST being applied to overseas purchases? Yeah, yeah. It used to be, uh, in most cases, it wasn't really applied unless the sales were over $1,000. Now it's pretty much applying to everything. And what this has actually done is it's increased the prices of purchases made overseas, uh, but it's also provided a bit more of an incentive for manufacturers and suppliers to bring models and ranges into this country that we haven't had access to before. The other thing that's missing from our uh, 
selection in our retail stores is colours. Uh, now, I'll give you a bit of an anecdote here. In around about 2015, Jill and I went to do a mountaineering course in Switzerland. And uh, good trip. Um, glad, glad we do it. Glad we did it. And we discovered that we don't like mountaineering. <laughs> um, but one thing we, one comment we actually had said to us, and this is by the guy that was guiding us, was you can always spot the Australians and the New Zealanders because they're always wearing dark grey and navy coloured clothing. Black. Black, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, and we, we did go into the local stores in a few of the townships and there was such an amazing range of colours. At that stage, green was the in colour uh, and I managed to get a, an amazing jacket uh, which is sold in Australia but not in the colour uh, that I actually purchased in this fluoro greeny yellow colour from overseas. Yeah, and we didn't do the conversion though because I don't think that would have been a, a very satisfying experience. I think the other thing is, and we've talked about this, you know, there's there's um, this tendency to sort of do an annual refresh for certain products by relying on, on a new colour. So, you know, last colour, last year's colour might have been blue and this year's colour might be yellow. Um, but when you look overseas, you see over a series of years, there's a huge range of colours for that particular item, for that particular product uh, that just does not make it into Australia. The other concept that you often hear, particularly in um, in hiking magazines or hiking blogs, uh, is the concept of shrink it and pink it. And this is where you take a men's pair of pants or a men's top or a men's jacket, you make it smaller and just put it in what's classed as female-friendly colours, which is traditionally pink or the light powder blues or the colours that they make an assumption that men wouldn't like. Pastel, pastel um, blues past, and past, pinks. Pastel colours, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think in all honesty, you know, they, the companies have done a better job of, of just changing the size and just changing the colour. Uh, but it's still very much a concept that you can go online and uh, look in online stores or you can go into the stores and without seeing the roof signs that say men's pants or women's pants or men's clothing, women's clothing, you can just tell by the colours what sex they're actually aimed at. Uh, and this, you know, this is a really common thing that it's, it's such an easy thing to do to tell whether that's a, that's the women's rack or that's the men's rack. Yeah, I mean, it's a very stereotypical gender thing, isn't it, really? Um and I, and I must admit, I, um, I'm one of these strange people that, as a male, I like really leery, <laughs> we, bright sort of colours. We were out shopping the other day and Tim saw a, a jacket uh, in an outdoor store that um, was actually for females and it was, I think, a bright red colour. It was an interesting red colour and, and he said, oh, oh, I wonder if they have that in a men's. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> Which I was very grateful for, but you know. <laughs> no, and and that was the thing. I mean, yeah, I liked, I really did like that color. It was a fire engine red sort of color, whereas the men's jackets were black and I think olive color. Was olive the, was the green, choice. yes. Um, and yeah, and, and I can understand this, and we'll talk about why this might be in a moment. But 
I, as I said, I will quite happily buy these really strange men's colours because they're quite often on sale uh, because they're often the last ones that are left. The other one is style as well. Um, you know, hiking is a, a, a niche activity, I suppose. Uh, there's an awful lot of people do it. But a lot of people who hike might only do it occasionally. They'll grab a pair of pants out of their cupboard. They'll grab a pair of runners. They won't necessarily have dedicated gear. Uh, so as a result, the styling in some of the hiking equipment tends to be pretty bland and pretty limited. Um, there'll be maybe a couple of different styles within a range, or they won't have uh, won't be particularly fashion conscious, if you like. They'll be fairly limited. And there's actually a brand of pants, and I won't mention any, any brands here, but there's a, a model in particular that I bought a couple of pairs probably about 10 years ago. I've still got one of the pairs left. The others eventually died of old age. Uh, but the brand new version of that is exactly the same. <laughs> it, hasn't, it has not changed. Now, that's, that's one of two issues there. It says people really like it, so why change it? But it's also a bit lazy to say, how about we make some bit of stylistic change? You imagine going into a clothing store and finding clothes designs that hadn't changed in 10 years. Well, I did actually work with someone who I'm sure was wearing new gear uh, from the 80s. But, you know, I'm not quite sure where you get that. But they, they hadn't changed their style since then. And I think, you know, the point you're making about those pants is that it, it also hasn't taken advantage of any um, developments or any changes and advances in the materials either and um, or, you know, the, the uh, age of people who are now hiking or, you know, any of that sort of thing. And uh, in a way, if it works, it works. But, yeah, I do agree. I think it is a bit lazy. And just before you get on to your next point, Tim... The other thing is when you see gear that is specifically designed for hikers and hiking and it is also quite uh, up-to-date and fashionable, it really, really, really stands out. Now, Jill mentioned age there as one of the points she was talking about, and I, and I suppose this is often the thing as well. I look at our social media statistics on a regular basis and the people that interact with Australian Hiker, both online and through the social media channels. And as best as I can see, we the large percentage of people who listen to Australian Hiker are females. Uh, that's not unrealistic. Uh, I think women will often be unafraid to take in new new ideas and listen to new things, whereas, and I can say this as a male, males will, you know, I'm a typical male, I don't read the instruction manuals. <laughs> um, uh, so it's, you know, it, it, we, do, we do have a very heavy split towards female uh, listeners. And I think looking at the people that respond on social media, not just to our blog, but to a number of others that we follow, it tends to be more female-oriented. It's also very heavily split towards probably the from around about the 30 to the late 40s is the main uh, area, uh, and then as you get into the 50s plus, the numbers do drop. 
but you'd expect that. I think probably less people are into social media as they get into the the, the upper ages. And I, and I know my sister, who's older than I am, doesn't do much with social media, more from an age perspective. So I think when you're talking about styles, it's what market are you actually aiming at? Are you aiming at the baby boomer market? Are you aiming at the millennial market? Uh, and that that is something that, that is... You know, you've got a such a wide spread of people doing this activity, it does actually make it a bit harder. Now that leads us on to design, which is probably slightly different than style. Stylistically, it can be really more, I think, a statement about fashion. Uh, design tends to be more in relation to, is the, the garment or is the product actually doing what uh, it, it is supposed to do and have changes been made if you look at if you move away from the clothing spectrum into tents uh, into backpacks and backpacks probably to a lesser degree but certainly tents and sleeping mats those two products in particular have had massive changes over yeah, the last have. 10 years yeah. you know the sleeping mats have gone from the foam rubber uh, to the self-inflating uh, sleeping mats to the inflatable sleeping mats and the technology they're putting into those things has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Tents is the same. Uh, tents uh, can look very traditional. They can look like they did 10 or 15 years ago. But we've also gone down the, the pathway of making tents lighter uh, and more compact and using more hybrid materials and more technical materials uh, that provide a better experience, you know, freestanding. Um, there, there's been some huge changes in the tent markets over the last 10 to 15 years. But clothing, probably the changes haven't really been that great. Uh, and I think the other thing from a design perspective um, that manufacturers will often work on is, isn't everyone the same size and shape? Now, this is probably an easier thing for males uh, typically, you, you increase the size of the waist uh, and you might increase the size of the inseam so you've got longer legs, uh, but doesn't always work that way uh, or that well from women's perspective. Yeah, and I don't know whether it necessarily works that way from a, um, a men's perspective either. There was a fellow uh, we were hiking recently and um, uh you know, not that I take much notice of these things, Tim, but um, this this fellow was quite slim um, and the shorts that he had on um, just did not stay up. And, uh, you know, he could have probably done with a, a belt or something like that. But I just thought how interesting it was um, that, that someone who, you know, was reasonably fit, had to keep tugging his pants up. So, you know, it doesn't doesn't always work for men either. Um, it often doesn't work for women. And just on the topic of, you know, what we're talking about, women's sizings, we had a, I had a response to a, a social media post not long ago, uh, and this was from a, a woman that was six foot three in height. Uh, so that would be roughly around about uh, 190 centimetres approximately. Um, and certainly... Uh, she said she often wore men's clothing because women's clothing just did not fit her. Uh, yeah, and that's often the thing. It's just um, it does become an issue uh, that 
the designs from the manufacturer's perspective are made to fit the average. Whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. And then, and that does lead us on to size. So I have a couple of issues in relation to, and this is as a male, with getting clothing and equipment that suits me quite well. So I know in the States that some manufacturers do actually produce footwear that go up to size 20. Whoa. Uh, uh, now, I think you can actually order those from overseas to come into Australia. But as far as I'm aware, there is no importer of gear that size in Australia. Uh, so you can do a special order, and that's often the case. So from my perspective, I'm a size 15 US uh, shoe uh, or boot. Uh, and given that size 12 and above US footwear accounts for 2% of the population, once you start getting to size 15, you know, you're within probably half of one half of 1% sort of thing. It's, you're yeah. in a class of your own. Yeah. And I mean, I know that, that tends to be a real issue for me. I know when uh, I've got a couple of particular brands that, that suit me really well, and I know when they hit the stores, I've got to be really quick because I get the impression that the stores will order one pair in size The other 15. size 15 people will buy them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, or the other three people in Australia with size 15 feet. So I either do a pre-order or, or, or just have to wait until the next shipment comes through. Uh, so it, it is an issue. My issue is more about um, the width of my foot and um, that drives me or pushes me into particular brands that have a – uh, a wide fit, but even then, um, you know that's there's only a couple of brand, brands that do that, um, and I, I likewise have to be on the ball and and get the right size um, soon after their release. So you know there's there's more than me out there with uh, a, a wide foot of a particular size because you know we're we're probably fighting over the same shoes. Yeah, and the other issue I have is is the length of pants. And one thing with with clothing, we still seem to measure clothing in imperial sizings coming out of the states. Uh, and while I can quite comfortably find something to suit my waist size, the standard sizing for men's pants tends to be thirty two inches in length. Now that suits someone around about that five foot ten in height to around about six foot. Uh, but you know, once you start getting past that, you end up with your pants being a couple of inches above your uh, above your feet, and you've got this gap. Uh, so, oh, that's the reason, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I have the opposite um, uh, issue because uh, my pants are always too long, and um, I I did have a uh, bought a new pair of pants for hiking and uh, they roll up as uh, capri pants. But I found that the roll up was so low, it was almost just above my ankles. <laughs> so I had to keep rolling, <laughs> just freestyle rolling to get it to a decent length um, below my knee. Maybe it's just to roll them up so you've got them high enough to, to wade across the streams. <laughs> yeah, well... Having gone through and just whinged about the <laughs> we have the, we? The, the, the shortcomings in equipment, what is the problem? Um, you know, is it that the gear we want isn't being made? And, and in all honesty, the answer to that is no. The gear does exist. You go online to uh, international stores, 
and Amazon's a good example here. Uh, I can go into Amazon, I can find a particular brand and model of um, a pair of pants that I want, uh, and it'll have the right length, and it'll have all these different colors, uh, and there's just the, you know, the full range that's available out of the US manufacturer. And then you click on the button that says, uh, this, this product will not ship to this Australian address. Um, and you then go onto Amazon Australia and find out what's available. If it is available, uh, is only available on a couple of colors and the sizing is pretty limited. Now, I know you can actually have a fake US address and Australia Post actually runs this service where you have the product delivered to an Australia Post facility in the States and they will then ship it onto Australia to your Australian address. So what it basically does is trick the US system so the product gets through to Australia. I've had to do that a couple of times because the product I wanted has been so specific to what I've needed. Uh, I've had to order through the States, but it ends up being actually quite expensive. So it's actually cheaper to purchase from Australia, except that I can't get at what I want here. So the product is being made, um, and that leads us on to the next year issue, is is it being imported? And probably the, the direct answer to this yeah. is no, it's not. And this is our real issue. When we talked about Australia batting above its own weight, the problem we have, our population is approximately 27 million people. Uh, but when you look at the United States population, which I think, and again, this is just a guess from memory, is around about 370 to 400 million. When you've got a population that's 15 times the size of what we've got, they have a bigger range of manufacturers, a bigger range of suppliers, and they can afford to do 10 different colours in in five different types of pants or five different types of shirts. Well, I don't know whether I would want 10 different colours, but, you know, more more than two would, would be nice. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we, I had this specific problem just recently where uh, I ordered a product out of the States because that's where I could find it easily and it was actually quite a good price. Um, but when I looked at the US manufacturer's website, there are all these amazing colors which I would have actually purchased, except they are unavailable to me. And I wasn't going to go through the process of, of, of ordering through Australia Post in the States and paying customs duty and everything else. It just wasn't worth it. So the real issue for us is the import process. Now, as part of that, we talked about limited colors. And I think one of the things that it seems to happen is we almost get the casts off uh, out of the Euro US and the European markets. So Jill used an example before we started this podcast. There's a brand of underwear and the women's underwear comes in beige. In Australia. Uh, in Australia, yeah. Whereas it's not a pretty beige either. And people who have wandered around outdoor stores will know what I'm talking about. So I think it's one of those sort of things. You, know, you look on the US websites and there's all these amazing colours that are available. So I can't imagine that they say, hey, Australians are really stylish. They like beige. Um, <laughs> beige underwear. Beige underwear. <laughs> so it's been years since I think um, you know, that used to be the standard women's colour underwear. I don't um, think that was ever the standard <laughs> colour women's underwear. It was when we were kids, I think. Oh, no. Um, I don't think I ever wore beige, even as a kid. 
So I think you know, it's the sort of thing that you know, if it's not being sold, and quite often the the American and the uh, European market starts before ours, uh, and you know, because we're the opposite seasons, that uh, we then get into a stage where product it hasn't been sold, uh, it's shipped to Australia, uh, and they try to sell it through the Australian market. So I think in yeah, in some respect, it's, we're second class citizens. We're, hey? we're second class citizens. And then this also, you know, that's probably an extreme example there, but Jill mentioned rain jackets. Uh, there's a rain jacket that I've been trying to buy for a while in fluoro green um, uh, and also in a longer cut. Uh, is not available in Australia. No, but it will be in 2029. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we'll run through the colours by then. Won't change the style, just have that colour to be imported into Australia in that year. So I think, I mean, we talk. You know, it is a bit of a a soapbox uh, from us in this one through here. But as I said, I, I I go into stores. I know what's available from the manufacturers, and think, why can I not buy this product in the color or the specific size that I want? You know, why do I have to buy a pair of pants? that is slightly shorter than I need to get. Well, it's a really interesting one because, you know, the the whole sort of um, challenge with uh, normal clothing, fashion clothing, um, is that they really know how to get you in and um, ha- ha- how to get you to part with your money because they'll have something that's slightly different and a slightly better colour and, and you know, you're enticed to keep turning over your gear. Um you know, may, maybe it's a philosophical thing. I don't know, um, but nobody's really tapped into this desire to um, refresh and and upgrade your gear. And you know, you don't have to, but if you want to, it's really, really, really hard to, to get something different to what you've already got. Now, in fairness to manufacturers here, there was a, a couple of. Uh, models of shoes that I've tried over the last few years and they can only be described as really leery. It looks like uh, someone had thrown up paint all over the shoes. They, you know, It looks like they've been splattered with paint. I love them, um, but I know that uh, that was when I went to purchase, that was the colour that was available. The solid black versions they produced were sold out. Uh, <laughs> And, and, I, and I know talking to people uh, in relation to uh, what I see on the trail, I will talk to people uh, and people complain about, oh, look, we, I, I couldn't get the colour I wanted. I had to get this this ugly revolting colour uh, rather than black or blue. So I know we're, that not everybody likes uh, leery colours or bright colours. Uh, and I think the assumption is that blacks, greys and navies and khaki people will not be upset about it uh, and they will cope with it without having to say, well, I want a particular model or particular colour. And I think the point that we're making is not everybody's the same and a bit of choice is not a bad thing, uh, whereas a, a bit of choice seems to have been squeezed out on the basis of other priorities that are more about the suppliers and uh, the manufacturers and perhaps the retailers than they are about the consumer. And I'll, and I'll be fair to the, the importers here that certainly you're not going to bring a product into the country that may or may not sell. You know that blue and navy and khaki will sell. Uh, you may not know that 
bright green or orange will sell or not. Uh, and there was a brand of pants that I wear, used to wear a few years ago and occasionally still do wear. It was an orange, bright orange sort of colour. I loved it. Uh, but it got to the point where when I was hiking, people would say, you're Australian hiker, purely from the pair of pants. Because you're the only, you're only male hiking in that coloured pants in Australia. <laughs> and I think in all honesty, that was it. I have, I have never, ever come across any other male on trail that was wearing the same colour pants. I was it. Yeah, and then you uh, traded them in for those... Apple green ones, you know. And, I, and, it, and it was funny because uh, a group of hikers that I met in on Larapenta Trail, we came across them again on the overland track. And they said, <laughs> wearing oh, the same gear. <laughs> wearing the same gear. And they said, oh, you, you hiked the Larapenta Trail last year, didn't you? And I said, yep. And, you know, they, 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 were, they were the people that I'd come across. And, again, they recognised me not because of my face, because of the pants that I was wearing. So it's... It is hard from a supplier's point of view. They can't afford to have stock sitting there not going anywhere. Uh, but uh, it would be nice to have, as Jill said, just one or two more options, at least from a colour perspective. I think, as I said, from our perspective, I think manufacturers aren't missing the mark. Uh, suppliers may be. But there are reasons for that. And as much as I would like to have a broader range, probably my main criticism is I would love to see a bigger range of size 15 footwear bought into this country. Um, you know, because as I said, it really is limiting in my choice of what I can wear and brands that I can wear purely because of that. Uh, but for the average hiker, that's probably not an issue because you don't have size 15 feet. Yeah, my wish list would be uh, pants that are anything other than beige or slate in colour. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. In next week's episode, we're actually going to be doing a discussion on basic route finding or going off trail, uh, off the marked hiking trails and being a bit creative on your hikes. I had hoped to bring you a couple of hikes uh, of, of a couple of Australia's longer hikes over the last couple of months. Uh, but as most people are aware, as this episode goes to air, we're getting massive floods up and down the east coast of Australia. And as always, the uh, locations I planned on hiking is smack bang where the floods are. Yeah, take so, care, everybody. So if anyone wants me to break their break their, their drought, just ask <laughs> me to come hiking in your area because that seems to be the common denominator. All right, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.